the dulcet tones of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass means it's time for the triumphant return of Fangraphs Audio. After a uh, month-long furlough, Fangraphs Audio returns today in the form of an interview with Eric Augenbron. Uh, I should mention before I continue, I'm Carson Stooley, and this is Fangraphs Audio. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Eric Augenbron is the guest today. You might know Mr. Augenbron from his work at The Good Fight the SB Nation blog for the Phillies, where he posts under the pseudonym uh, Fuqua Manual, which is uh, Charlie Manual's uh, middle and last names together. Uh, you might also know him from his really excellent work at Knockgraphs, um, where I am proud to call him a colleague, and less proud, but um, amused nonetheless to call him Augenbutt, uh, which is his last name. Uh, but the word but instead of brawn. And if you've seen Eric's work at Knockgraphs, you know that uh, he's a thinking man's thinking man, but also knows the value of keen wit as well. And what follows, we try and figure out what has created Mr. Augenbron's sensibility. I ask him about uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, both writing about them uh, and cheering for them. We discuss Philadelphia briefly, uh, and generally we wax intellectual on any number of subjects. If the listener at any point takes issue with the audio quality from Eric's side of the broadcast, he would do well to keep in mind, uh, that is, the listener would, uh, that I, Carson Sestouli, have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, and with that, uh, let's go to the interview with Eric Augenbrock. As I've uh, hoped to have mentioned, uh, I don't know what I would have been doing if I hadn't mentioned it in the introduction, but my guest today is a uh, contributor to Knockgraphs, contributor to The Good Fight, uh, resident of Philadelphia, and maybe native of same, um, Eric Augenbron. Eric, you there? Yes. Good. I'm here. That's, the, that's our first victory. A minor one, but... <laughs> Uh, but it's there. It's a, is it a Pyrrhic victory? Is, are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Wouldn't a, wouldn't a Pyrrhic victory be one in which the the losses sustained in the battle um, outweigh the final result? Yeah, right. Is that, uh, would it be similar? I don't know if that would apply in this case. No, I... <laughs> well, it needs to be seen. Um... <laughs> Is 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 that the same thing as cutting off your nose to spite your face? Um, is there any overlap? I think there's overlap. I, I I'm not sure though. I I would have to look into that. Okay, well that's good to know all of that then. Um, yeah. so so let's let's talk about uh you you uh you write for knockouts. That's that's uh of course. Uh, I, I'm familiar with you. I, I, I have been familiar with you as an as an uh, internet uh, citizen, um, mm-hmm. and a writer for the Good Fight. But there are so many. Um, of course, there are a lot of team blogs, and I don't really have any reason to care about the Phillies beyond yeah. any of the other teams. So you understand why I'm probably most familiar with, with your work now as a writer for Knockgraphs. Um, but yeah. Let's talk about. Um, let's start off by talking about about writing for Knockgraphs, just so I can, uh, so we have like a jumping-off point, I guess. Um, 
I assume I'm going to assume that your the stuff you've written for Narcaps is in some way um, characterizes your concerns about baseball um, and maybe your concerns about th- you know things you like to think about uh, generally. Um, mm-hmm. The the most recent one yeah. uh, in terms of LOL type of material and also whimsy uh, <laughs> was the uh, complete history of Saberland, which was a sort of uh, uh, excerpts. Um, from a from a fake historical document um, concerning yeah. as a sort of I don't know utopian and then dystopian world right um, in which uh, saberists from all over the country maybe, maybe the world I don't know if you specified but they gathered in uh, Jamestown <laughs> yeah and uh, in, 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 I guess it was somewhere. Jamestown ended up being somewhere in northern New Jersey. Yeah, it um, looks like it is. Yeah, and the, and the country, as w- one would imagine, is in the shape of home plate. Yes. Right. Now I thought that was an important touch. Um, so, I don't know. This seems to be as good a place as any to start. What, why is this funny to you? Um, because I know you've also done some other sort of savory things. Before that, you had uh, a little bit more of a, um, um, a slightly less um, lying type of essay regarding um, sort of um, conduct among people who sort of do identify and don't identify as saberists. Uh, but, yeah. But so this seems to be, I guess, a concern of you is like uh, both the sabermetric community itself and then also the sort of uh, us and them, um, you know, I guess, groupings that can come of it. Is that, I mean, is that, would that be fair to say that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm interested in... The, the debates and discussions that happen between people who appreciate and use sabermetrics and people who who uh, dismiss it. So the the first the first uh, the first essay the the longer one the, the, the second one you mentioned was really trying to parse out uh, I guess the the logical fallacies in, in, in one sort of specific um, branch of the anti-sabermetric uh, anti-sabermetric sort of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea, the idea was that, like, you know, the certain, certain people will say, oh, sabermetrics, I can't, I can't deal with all these advanced stats. They take all the beauty and fun out of the game for me, which is sort of I think it doesn't really make much sense because you're trying to take a game and treat it as if it's as if it's art, and art and games have very different, well, not very different, but often quite divergent um, points. Like the, the object of a game is to win, and in a game, the, the statistical data that emerges from that game is is valuable for determining who has a better chance of winning or how you go about winning. Whereas art, there's no, there are no real winners and losers in art. So it, it, it makes more sense to say you can appreciate art for its beauty, um, and that's how art should be appreciated, whereas it doesn't really make sense to say that about a game like baseball. Yeah, right, because art, art might be something that happens. Like, for example... Um uh, as we speak, 
last night, Dar- uh, Daniel Bard threw a 94 mile per hour changeup, right, to strike out yeah. Teixeira. Uh-huh. And and so what he had to do was he had to come up with like this crazy way of getting out Mark Teixeira. His goal was to get out Mark Teixeira. Mm-hmm. The way he ended up doing it was by throwing a, a crazy pitch that that kind of uh, complicated our idea of like the effects of gravity like the relationship between right. gravity and velocity and spin. Right. And so it becomes that's our... A, that, yeah, that's exactly, like, exactly, and that's a great example, because, like, it, now, while he may have done something that was aesthetically pleasing to a lot of people, his goal wasn't to do something, to create something beautiful, it was to get Mark share out, right? Right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's a great example. Um... Right, right, and and it's not. Of course, it's not always the case that the most beautiful thing wins in baseball either, because, right. for example, I don't, do you remember the pitcher R.J. Swindell? 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 Oh, sure, sure. He was a he was a Philly for this period. Right, and I think actually maybe one of his most famous strikeouts, and probably one of his few major league strikeouts, was of Ryan Howard on like a like a fifty nine mile per hour curveball too. Maybe when he was pitching. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And this was kind of the thing that he was known for, among other things. You know, so he was—he—he he looked, and it is the numbers are just basically those of a of a loogie, but he threw mm-hmm. that ridiculous curveball. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it wasn't enough. <laughs> so even though aesthetically, no. um, he's in, you know he's curious for that reason. Um, you know, he probably would have been better if he just had like. If he had a 99 mile per hour fastball. Yeah, and Swindle is actually an interesting case because he's one of those guys who, he's a pure junk baller, but in the minors, he put up a, a ridiculous strikeout to walk ratio. It was something like, I mean, it, I know his, his strikeout rate must have been close to 11 or 12 to 9 in the minors, which is, which is pretty absurd. And then, I mean, he just couldn't, well, once he got to the majors, the major league hitters tore him up. So he's one of those guys who could get, get people out all the way up to Triple A, but then never make that jump. But, but that's just an aside, because he was in the Philly system for a while. And the good fight actually had a, we had a, a bit of a fascination with, uh, with him. So. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, the good fight, for example. Now, how long have you been writing there? And I should say this is the SB Nation blog for the Philadelphia Phillies, right? And and how how long have you been there? Um, I I started um, writing for them regularly in I think August August of August of last year. But I had been a regular reader and commenter for since. I think oh seven. So oh, since oh seven. Okay, and so and so. Well, how what was the sort of catalyst for you like joining on more of a? Uh, I mean, are you full? What is your position? What are you called there? Uh, I would be called a, a blog lord, <laughs> which is I guess I don't know. I guess it's like a just a writer and and editor. I don't, we just we're pretty uh, we're pretty egalitarian about. You know, right. I know I've seen you definitely sort of like uh, set up some of the game threads. Is that is that a truth? Um, 
I do some of that. That's mostly the the the, the guy who runs with or who's sort of like the head. He's he's sort of the main editor. Is uh, he goes by the 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 pen name Paul Camels? Right. Which is like uh, a play on Paul Hamels, but uh, <laughs> but uh, he he does most of that day to day like uh, being thread type stuff. I do some of that. I do uh, link posts, recaps, and then I'll do uh, a lot of feature feature pieces looking at different maybe statistical questions about certain players or um, maybe sometimes I'll just feel like uh, writing a poem or something. We're, we're sort of freeform there. so Yeah, well, that's one of the things. Uh, so we've definitely had... Off the top of my head, I know on the podcast we've definitely had uh, Grant Brisby from McCovey Chronicles and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Will McDonald yes. from yeah. uh, Royals uh, Royals Review, and then also um, uh, Dan uh, Danup. Uh, he goes by Danup. What is his, uh, of course, I can't remember his last name. It's, uh, <laughs> like I said, it's not a professional enterprise. In any case, uh, another talented writer um, from. Um, Viva Albertos, um, and and they all seem to. Uh, I guess probably what fascinates me about those guys, why I've wanted them to uh, to be on the show, um, and to just to talk with them is that they definitely seem to uh, be excited about the freedom that. Um, I, I guess they actually they all work, you know, they all work for. Uh, uh, for SB Nation blogs, but the sort of freedom of blogging and interacting both with the team uh, th- through writing, but also th- uh, with a fan base, too, um, yeah. sort of allows them. And to kind of understand that, that you know, that uh, the sort of um, tired game recaps or, I guess, um, you know, like human interest stories that you find in in the local paper are not mm-hmm. they're not particularly interesting. I mean, I guess they have their place, but there's you know that's not necessarily how people like interacting with the game. Right, and I think that's that's one of the great things about estimation. I think is that um, it draws a sort of it, it's 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 a I guess you could call it a niche of fans, but it's sort of not that because even even in our own community, there's a lot of people from with all kinds of different um, ideas and interests and stuff. And they they almost it's not really an adversarial relationship with the main the quote unquote mainstream media, but it's a it's a sort of more critical relationship to it that I think. Um, and and of course, I, it, it varies from from blog to blog on estimation, but in general, they're more advanced stat friendly. So we, we draw, we draw a sort of subset, subset of fans who are interested in learning more about those things or interested in, um, in, in discussing those things in a, in a more, um, in-depth way than you'll get on like a, a, a sort of wider newspaper or something. So when you started reading in 2007, you said, were you one of the, I mean, did you do a lot of commenting? Yeah, that's how I, I mean, that's how I started it. And I started out with just, just reading it, and then 
I guess the progression is then you then you finally seal and bolt into comment and then and you become a regular a regular commenter. But yeah, that's 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 how I started out. And what's the I, I mean what's the what do you what for you do you think is the pleasure there? Is it the fact that I mean you I mean is it just is it as he's as simple as like the fact that you're able to interact with people who have uh, you know, I guess a similar interest in the team that you do? Yeah. I think it's uh it's a bunch of pretty when it comes to baseball like minded like minded people. Um and people who who value different statistical methods for for looking at the game. And I mean SP SB Nation has a great uh I mean, as far as the, the design goes, the the blogs are are really well well designed and the, the comment threads are really conducive to to deeper discussions because it's like a so it it up it refreshes automatically and whatnot. So it's like it's more like a chat room actually than, than a typical blog. You know, you don't have to keep clicking refresh, you'll see you'll see replies in real time. So Oh, that's cool. All right, so that's actually something yeah. I didn't know. So, so here's the thing: is that it, and I've made it clear. I don't really have a team allegiance. I have had, I have been a Red Sox fan, but I don't anymore. Right, so mm-hmm. I never really get to be part of a community like that. But I guess it's like, I mean, you grew up a Phillies fan, I assume. You're from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. that's correct. Yep. Right. Okay. So, like, do you, do you ever wonder? It's like, whoa, why am I a Phillies fan as opposed to any other team's fan? I mean, is there some do you feel like there's a you sort of get to feel the identity of being a, a Philadelphian like while you're participating in the good fight? Um, I, you know, I, I think so. I mean, it's I, and I know a lot of our readers and commenters are sort of Philly fans who have been dispersed all over the country. Um, and that's the great thing about about the online the online community, of course. But as far as my own my own Phillies fandom, like I have I have at times reflected on like the fact that it, the reason I'm a Phillies fan has it's like it's it's it was not really a, a conscious decision. It just happened because I lived in Philadelphia my whole life. So it's not it's. It sort of uh, destabilizes the whole idea of being a sports fan when I start to think about that. But then, you know, it's fun to when you're living in a city to share in in the joy of other people and and, and also the the agony of other people when when your team loses. But yeah, but I, yeah, I, I, that's definitely the thing that I've lacked, and or that I, and that I assume is the nice thing about still being a, a like a you know, a member of a fan community is it's it's at some level the product in the field uh, is unimportant um, as long as like you know there continues to be a team. The real thing is sort of like is is being able to have like I mean the team is producing data regardless, right? They're producing all these narratives about like I mean in the case of the Phillies, it's like you know like they have this. You know, really interesting pitching staff, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. certainly three of the best pitchers in the league, and then Royals, well, and Vance Worley, I guess. Uh, they have sort of the Ruben Amaro thread, and how sometimes he seems to make 
we, like big weird signings, but that other times signs Cliff Lee somehow from the Yankees. Right. Uh, they have yeah. there's a Raul Banez narrative about like this aging player that you can't get off your team. Yeah. Um, there's the Chase Sudley well, no. narrative. I mean, so Banez will be gone soon enough, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think I think I think it's true to 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 a large extent, and I, I think the internet has propelled this also is the 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 idea that a lot of times. What, what's happening on the field is is less is less is less relevant than some of these different uh, storylines. And um, I know, like Philly, Philly, Philly fans are really active on Twitter and whatnot. And I remember the night of the the, the Cliffley signing. It was this was this was December, and so Philly fans are freaking out on on the internet about this. Like they had just like they just won a won the champ won the World Series or something. So it's it's true that uh, the, the community um, the community sort of fosters this uh, this excitement even when there's nothing happening is on the, the field. Is there something that could make you stop being a Phillies fan? Do you think? Like what is if, there what something if, or is this? What if Ned Coletti were your GM or? Um, I don't know. What if they were as bad as the Mariners and had been? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, you have to approach it as just simply you're rooting for you're rooting for the jersey. Because if you if you root for or if you care if you if your fandom is dependent on who the GM is or what players are on the team, then then it's it's gonna. It, at some point, it's likely to just stop. So you, in a sense, you're just rooting for you're just rooting for the uniform. So I, I, I think inevitably when it when it does go downhill, um, I'll, I'll still I'll still be a fan because I was. I mean, if you if you approach it from the perspective that you're just you're just sort of an unconditional fan of of the uniform then. Uh, it allows you to stick with the team through the through the through the down periods. Right. Well, I guess so. Here's here's one thing, and I, I so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna continue to bombard you with annoying hypotheticals, um, so mm-hmm. that I can use your life to figure myself out. Is that does that sound reasonable? Yeah. Fine. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> the thing with the Red Sox is like once Theo Epstein became uh, GM. And you know John Henry was the owner. It like seemed like you know, and after they won that world first World Series, it seemed mm-hmm. like it would be hard for them to lose ever again. Like you're talking about the inevitable downfall of the Phillies. I don't yeah. know that there's going to be an inevitable downfall of the Red Sox. Like they're always going to be competitive. The thing is that Red Sox fans, I mean not all Red Sox fans certainly, but like certainly the popular media, uh, Dan Shaughnessy, etc. They they. Mm-hmm. They see the Red Sox still as fallible because they haven't ditched the narrative that, you know, especially Dan Shaughnessy sort of labored over for years. Mm-hmm. So what about in that case? Could you still be a Phillies fan if if that entire narrative belonged to your team? The narrative of uh, of being good forever. But <laughs> what if yeah, the Phillies were going to be good forever? Yeah, I, that, that's that's an interesting question because. 
yeah, I could see how that could become a conflict. It's, it's, it's not really, it's not really fun if there's a widespread, or if it, if it sort of seems like a fact of life that your team will always be in the, in the hunt. But I don't know. I just, I just don't. That, that narrative isn't really. It doesn't really ring true for a lot of Phillies fans. So it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to say because I think even statistically inclined fans recognize that there are certain there are certain aspects of Ruben Morrow's strategy as a GM that just aren't aren't sustainable in the long run. Like he can't he can't keep um, depleting the farm system to get to bring in. Um, veteran players and you can't keep extending people to, you know, $25 million a year contracts through their, through their age 36 and 37 seasons. So I, I, I believe at a certain point something is going to have to give. Um, so I'm just, I, I just, I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I expect at some point Things will turn. There, there will be a downturn. There just has to be. But I, I, I can't even. It's hard for me to say what it would be like being a Red Sox fan, you know, with that progressive narrative and and so on. Yeah. Um, so, well, I want to ask you about some of your academic pursuits in a, in a moment, and maybe sort of how you got to where you are as a Phillies fan. But how do you how do you feel about this team this year? What sort of uh, what what for you is the kind of interesting thing that's going on with them? I mean, I. Is the pitcher thing interesting for you generally? You know, is that is that like the main narrative for you, or is something else? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm the kind of fan who just loves good pitching. So it's kind of a, it is a, it is a dream scenario, and it's great to it's great to be able to watch these guys, um, you know, carve up the opposition so so regularly. Um, and it's still it's still hard to wrap my mind around the fact that we have. We have, well, Old Walk's kind of been a, he's been, he's had issues this year, but it, it's hard to wrap my mind around the fact that we have Royals, uh, Roy Halliday, Chris Lee, and Cole Hamels, and, and Old Walk on the same, on the same staff. It just seems, it, it seems like even this, even a year after we got Halliday, it's still, it's still, it's still pretty, uh, Incredible to, to think about. Well, you get to watch him pretty frequently. What's that? You get to watch him pretty frequently, I assume. Yeah, yeah, and that, and it's it's great knowing that pretty much whenever you turn on a game, you're going to get a, a good pitching performance. Um, and I mean, as far as my expectations for for this season goes, I mean, I think everything <laughs> like <laughs> everything everything is great right now. Um, and I'm just sort of enjoying the enjoying the, the regular season dominance because I know the postseason is a whole other it's a whole different story and it's uh, it's 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 oft repeated but the the, the postseason is a crapshoot and really good teams do often lose in the postseason so I I uh, I tend to value the regular season more 
than uh, than a lot of Philly fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the narrative, the, the Philly narrative right now on the radio and in, in in the papers is is that anything short of a World Series win will be a major disappointment, which I think is a it's just the wrong way to look at it completely. Um, well, given how much you can control the postseason, I, yeah, right. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, it, I'm sure it doesn't hurt to have three aces. Right. No, it, it's. I feel. I feel. I feel better this year than I ever have with them going down the stretch. Obviously, but even still, you have to. You know, you you sort of have to prepare for for that for that disappointment. Um, because it's. I think they it's have. More likely, it's more likely than not that you'll be disappointed in the postseason. They have a 99% chance of winning right now, I think. Of, I mean, not winning, of making making the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that that, that uh, certainly helps. It, it helps you not really care so much about when they lose a game here and there when you when you when you look at it when you look at it from that perspective. Um. Is it still fun to watch the team knowing that they, you know, because on like day one they had those pitchers, but they didn't have any wins? Is it is it still fun to watch a team that has, you know, that would basically have to have a historic collapse? Uh, yeah, I think because you just you just watch it for for the, the exciting events that happen within within any game, and you just watch it because it's a because it's shaping up to be uh, an historic season for for this team that just a few years ago was um, was still struggling to to, to break five hundred. So. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of uh, this to me is sort of uh, goes back to one of the earliest points you made uh, regarding the you know the sort of uh, false uh, false dichotomy between uh, baseball as art and baseball as game mm-hmm. um, because you you really have even if the Phillies lose each like an individual game mm-hmm. they've basically won the only thing that like the, the thing that's most important to win during the course of the season which is the playoff berth yeah and yet you're still able to watch the games with seeming uh, seemingly as much interest as before yeah and I think that's for like that, that's exactly that's exactly where the where there is a, a false psychology. Like to say for the, the anti-stat people to say stats take the beauty out of the game sort of implies that the only way to to appreciate the game is to look at it like like all these things that happen are just you know like works of art. And that stats, and it completely diminishes the importance of, of stats. But I think it's important to note that you can you can look at the game. Really, I mean, it doesn't matter how you it, it doesn't matter how you look at the game. If you want to look at it because you watch it because you think it's a because you think a, a 94 mile per hour changeup is beautiful, then you should be able to do that. And if you wanna, if you wanna look at it completely as a, a big set of data that you can, that you can, you know, 
uh, analyze, then you should be able to do that too. But to, to try to deny that stats are stats are central to the game is is, uh, is where is where they go wrong, I think. Or that one is necessarily uh, blind to the aesthetic quality of the game just because he or she likes stats. Right. 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 Now let's uh, let's talk about how you became a Phillies fan. What? Uh, where where are you from? Are you you're from Philadelphia proper, or like one of the towns around there? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've lived in Philadelphia for my whole life. So. What is um, it? I only know. I will be honest with you and say I only know people who live in West Philadelphia. Okay. In the part of West Philadelphia that you probably think I mean when I say I know people who live in West Philadelphia. So, the, the area around uh, around Penn and uh, right, yeah, where the university, the, I, university I, city area, I think it's called. Right, where the socioeconomically blessed live. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I live in uh, I guess not not far from I live in the northwest part of the city. Um, okay, so what does that mean? Like, is, I know that historically the western part was. A little rough, right? But then they yeah. There's been a there's been an ongoing effort to uh, to gentrify the whole uh, the whole area around. I mean, there's there's several several uh, universities over there, and they've they've been pushing the pushing the the less well off population further and further um, away. Um, but my my section my section of the city is. It's a, it's it's a more uh, middle class um, area. It's, it's, it it has a sort of suburban suburban quality to it, despite being in city limits. Um, do you get but, uh, public like do you get train access or how does that work? Yeah, there's there's there's, there's bus access and train access, um, but it's 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 only a it's only like a 15 minute drive from, from like center city. So. Um, so is that, I mean, is that good? Do you you have like a lot of Northwest Philly pride or are you just like, yeah, that's where, uh, no, not really. (laughs) There's not much, there's not really that much to be proud of up in this (laughs) part of the city. (laughs) But, But no, I don't, I don't, I don't really, uh, have any sense of pride in my, in my own little, Neighborhood, but I I do have I I do have a, a sense of pride in my city. Um, All right, so it's, uh, it's, yeah. So you're born you're born there, in Northwest Philly, mm-hmm. and then what happened with the? I mean, how did you become a, fa- a fan of Philly? I mean, it just happened. Do you have like you know um, early I, favorite? I think my my earliest experience as a fan was in. Was the '93 season um, when we went to the World Series and and we had a hopes uh, dashed by Joe Carter. But um, my 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 mom is from the Philadelphia area, so um, and my my dad is from Eastern New York. So um, having I just growing up in Philly, my mom's side won out, and I uh, I ended up rooting for for Philly teams, um, but the the 93 season was, was formative for me as a fan, I would say. 
that was that really, I mean, just a disgusting team, right? With uh, John Crock yeah. and Lenny Dykstra still in the old stadium. Yeah, every, everybody on that team had a mullet. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they were still in the vet. Um, it was, yeah, that, that, looking back on it now, I can't, I can't believe I actually rooted for that team, but I was like six or seven years old, so. Well, they were good um, at baseball. It's just this sort of team that makes you fear ever having a daughter. Cause you're like, <laughs> cause you're right, no, yeah. I can't protect but, but, her. Yeah, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. You know, so they were, and when, when, when the team was led by Lenny Dykstra, knowing what we know now about Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, um, and also kind of knowing what we knew then. I mean, this was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even then, it's still clear that, that while a great, I mean, perfectly tuned to be a baseball player and that he was tough and like kind of dumb in the best way. Um, yeah. But also like, I mean, he has the numbers of a really smart player. I mean, smart, smart baseball player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. Um, you know, a lot of fun to watch. I mean, the whole team was right. Is they have uh, they had Cruck, they have uh, yeah. uh, Darren Dalton was he their catcher? Dalton, Cruck, Schilling, uh, Mitch Williams. Yeah. Was Kurt Schilling uh, Kurt Schilling yet? Was he like the Kurt Schilling at that point, or was he kind of? He was. He was pretty damn good. Yeah. I, I I I'd have to go back and look at his his numbers, but I know he was he was a damn good pitcher then. Um, but I don't know if he was. I don't think he was quite Diamondbacks showing yet. But he just right. turned into a like three hundred strikeouts per year, two hundred seventy innings or whatever. Right, in like fifteen walks or something. Like really, like yeah. literally that, something like that. Yeah. Um, no, but he was a he was a he was a I think a a bona fide ace back then. Um, so so this is the team right on the heel because I remember I remember West Chamberlain and Ricky Jordan. Mm. So that's yeah. that's just before right, and those teams were bad. Yeah, the, they were they were very bad for for I guess the better part of. Yeah, the better part of uh, oh, the ladies. of a decade, yeah. like a decade. There. And I guess it was more like after after the, I mean after the eighty after the ladies early eighties teams, they went through a real a real rough stretch until ninety three when they just sort of came out of nowhere. Um, and it seems like a lot of people had career years in ninety three, um, and that was sort of a flash in the pan, and then. Um, between '93 and and '07, they were they were bad again. They they, so, so they didn't make the, so, they didn't make the playoffs over that stretch. So you became a fan when they were. So you so this sort of launched you to fan, and and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm a Phillies fan now. And then it was just what 14 years of misery. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, I guess I wasn't. I wasn't as uh, avid a fan during that. I mean, it, it was kind of hard to be a very intense fan during that stretch. But um, I, I, when I think I, I really my my interest sort of leaned 
reunited when when the new stadium got built. Um, and the team started short. They, they signed Jim Tomei, and uh, they had a brave, and things were starting to things were starting to look good. Um, and they were they were they they finished they finished around like eight eight or ten games above five hundred for the for those few years, and then um, and then they they broke out in '07. But but that was that the, the new stadium and the the, the tunnel signing really made it um, made it I guess made it fun to be a fan again. Yeah, so what happened with you? So your sort of relationship with the team during this, are you, is it, uh, because I assume that at some point um, you went to high school and college and maybe you were you liked punk rock music or something like that. <laughs> is that accurate? Did you like, you were angry? Were you ever angry or were you not angry? I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, a punk rock fan, but uh, I, I, I do, I do listen to hip hop, and, and uh, I guess that that's sort of equivalent in, in some ways. <laughs> well, but yeah, I, I wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really angry about about the team or anything. It was just sort of, it, it was just something that that happened in the summer. Right, um, no, I'm not it, even saying about it, the team. I'm just saying like an ang- like an angry teenager or a young man. I don't know, because like I know there's a part of my teen years where I stopped watching baseball. Combination of yeah. like being angry and not wanting to be a jock, and also probably trying to go out with girls had a big part to do with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really think I didn't really like rebel against against jock culture or anything. I just, um, but. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't that angry in high school or anything. But you know, it, it's. Did you Did you go to one of those Quaker schools? Because I think isn't it like every high school in Philadelphia is a Quaker school, isn't it? No, no, I didn't go to. I didn't. Penn, I managed to avoid the, the Quaker Penn education Quaker? system. Pen friends. Uh, oh, uh, something friends. I knew some people who went to something friends. Um, Germantown friends. Uh, yeah, some friends. Uh, what? what? In the um, city, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other friends. Select, friends Central. Friends Central. That's a thing. Yeah, Friends Central is a is a is one of the Quaker Quaker schools. There are, there are a lot of them, um, but I didn't I didn't go to any of them. Well, you, you just go to uh, public high school. Yeah, I went to, I went to public public high school public. Public school from from sixth grade to to twelfth grade. Yeah. Now, and I know at some point you because I know that you you've given uh, some talks, you've done some, you've written some papers on uh, some combination of like um, Afro American culture and like uh, labor movements in your city mm-hmm. or maybe around your city. What's how did that happen? Is that just you needed to major in something, so you decided African American studies, or what? I mean, what? What? what um, well, I I've been I've been interested in history and and um, politics since since high school. Um, but I, I I had done some political activism, and I was I was interested in 
in social movements and the history of social movements and how 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 change happens throughout history. Um, so, and I, I mean, Philadelphia has a, a rich a rich history of um, African American political political involvement. Um, and so, I mean, I I was interested. I I, I started. I, I, my interest in African American history started in, in high school, and I carried that through uh, through college. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it's certainly related to my political concerns in the present. I think you're, you're when when you're when you do history, you're always you're motivated by present concerns when you look into the past. So, um, but that's that's the short story of how that came about. Now I wonder though. So I assume that you know, for however curious you were before, like you know, in college you pick up some skills that are sort of like you know, uh, skills about how, like essentially learning how to learn that I assume get applied eventually to baseball. Uh, I mean, was is that merely sabermetrics for you, or does that a Sort of show up any other in any other way. Um, I, I think it. I think to an extent that's how that's how I came around to to sabermetrics. Actually, the really the reason I was really the, the reason I really became interested in sabermetrics was more immediately was because um, everybody was bashing Bobby Abreu, and for the life of me, I couldn't understand it. So I, I needed some. I needed some way to understand, understand objectively how how Bobby Abreu was was one of the greatest players ever to play for the Phillies. Um, and so I, I sort of learned the basics of 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 sabermetrics in in trying to in trying to get a firm a firm grasp on my belief that Bobby Abreu was <laughs> a, 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 at least. Evidence for my belief that Bobby Abreu was much better than people in East, in Philadelphia treated him. Um, but I think it's, it's also I, I think in general the approach advocated by by you know by favorite uh, nutritions and is has a lot in common with um, with a lot of the skills you learn in in the academic world. Um, so I think there's certainly, there's certainly overlap between the two, in the two, those two uh, worlds for me. Yeah, it's funny that, uh, that you start with like a specific case and that you sort of use that as a, um, I guess as the entry point. I guess, it, I mean, that probably does happen to a lot of people, but it's, yeah. but uh, I, in, um, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has an essay where he talks about a guy named uh, Sir Sir Charles Fellows. And, uh, this is this to this for for Ralph Waldo Emerson is like a metaphor for how education works, or maybe not even a meta. I don't think it's a metaphor actually. It's just how it how it works, and this is an example mm-hmm. of it. Uh, but Sir Charles Fellows um, gets like really excited about this um, like little piece of like carved stone he finds when he's in Turkey or something. And mm-hmm. he like 
is like gets he's curious about it. For some reason, it really resonates with him, and he wants to learn more about it. But so like to learn more about it, he's got to like learn the history of sculpture like in this area. He also has to learn like Turkish and Greek or something, and then like right. he comes back and it, like he has to learn like how to like operate with like the you know the British government in terms of like securing things that are you know like like architect like funds for archaeology projects. So it's like he uses this one uh, discovery as sort of an entry point into like all this other learning that goes on. And I used to actually I used to teach this essay with uh, with college students and they, they they loved it. And so we would always kind of talk about like like what you know and so I would say like what is what is your entry point? You know like what like what's something that you're interested in that you need to sort of like develop other skills to know more about? Yeah. Uh, and that was always fun, but it's like baseball is very clearly allows for that to happen in a lot of different ways and sabermetrics is a big part of it because you also sort of learn you well, you learn the like the concepts of like sample size which i think you know yeah. have brought it have broad application and you learn about i think you learn about patience and yeah you learn Lock. about uh resisting you learn about like to to use what you see as information but also recognizing that you need like all of the data possible. Right. Uh, I mean, do you have anything to add to that, or like sort of what what Bobby Abreu like what wanting to know more about Bobby Abreu did for you, or, or even why did you want Bobby Abreu to be good? Well, I mean, it wasn't so much that I. It wasn't so much that I. I think it, it wasn't so much that I wanted him to be good. Is that I knew somewhere I knew. I knew that he was, he didn't deserve all the, all the shit he was getting. Uh-huh. Um, and I just needed, I needed the, the tools to be able to, to make that argument to people. Um, that he was, he was probably, if you looked at it objectively, one of the better, one of the best outfielders in the history of, in the history of the team. And yet people, people were trying to, to drive him out of town. I think that's it's that's also that's also a big part of it is in that it, the media in Philly is very can be very very vicious um, and they they have a tendency to drive the media and the, and then the fans follow. They have a tendency to drive very talented athletes out of out of the city um, based on based on nonsense about about the, their fruit. Um, personality or the, the type, the, the, their, their, uh, things that were not really relevant to what was going on on the field. Um, and so that, to an extent, me coming, coming around to say parametrics was like, uh, was like rebelling against, against the mainstream media and the mainstream fan perspective on, on certain talented players. I mean, it, it happened, before, before Abreu, it happened with, it happened with like Schmidt. It, it happened, it, it's a, it's a recurring thing where fans turn on very, very talented players based on, um, based on completely silly things. Like, I mean, it's, it happened, it happened to, to an extent with Cole Hamels after, uh, during the 2009 season when he, um, the Sabermetrics the crowd was 
was basically saying that Cole Hamels was just getting extremely unlucky on balls in play. But this perception in the media emerged that he was this, uh, this head case for the player who, uh, was obsessed with the spotlight and wasn't really focusing on his pitching and he, he couldn't handle, he couldn't handle the pressure, which was a completely, uh, bizarre thing to say after he had just won a, a World Series MVP the season before. Um, but it's, it's, Silver Metrics is a really good, um, antidote to, to that, to the mainstream, uh, the mainstream perception of some players in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, and I assume the good fight itself was also, uh, I mean, in, in general, like, is, is that sort of, is there a lot of that sort of notion around the site is to say, is to, to make sure that you create the correct narratives about the team? Yeah. And I think actually, I mean, the site was founded in 05. And I, if I remember correctly, um, someone, someone who had been around, been involved with the site since then mentioned that the name, the good fight, actually came from the, the steadfast defense of, of Bobby Abreu. So, um, in that they were, they were trying to counter, counter the mainstream perception of him. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of a big, a big part of, of, of our site is that we try to, we try, we, we ask certain questions that may, may seem counterintuitive or, or we give answers that may seem counterintuitive to certain, certain, uh, certain perceptions of, of, of players and how, in, in fact, in often case, in oftentimes, um, the reality doesn't, doesn't match, um, that perception. So, what, um, now, what, what other thing I'm sort of curious about is the sort of, uh, I, I happen, I stumbled upon a, Giants uh, McCovey Chronicles thread in which I think someone someone had because you because the Phillies and Giants were playing mm-hmm. and someone was like oh Fuqua Manual is that how you say it Fuqua Manual yeah Fuqua, yeah which which we should say or we should say is your uh, what do they call that handle your yeah name right screen name screen name right your your screen name on the good fight. And yeah. someone was like, oh, yeah. like, Fuqua Manuel, like, kicked me out because I was, you know, whatever. I was just sparring over there. And you made a comment in their uh, feed. Somebody yeah. like, no, it's like we just, we don't mind sparring, as you call it. We just like to have it be sort of rational. Right. So I wonder, do yeah, you think, think that the good fights, yeah. the, the like, the level of discourse is higher than at the other sites? Or do you think that... You got, you know, you're trying to construct. Because I'm sure there are, you know, there are definitely differences of tone between the sites. But are some of them, you know, slightly headier, and others of them are kind of more uh, vitriolic, or how does that work? Um. Well, we we just at the good fight. We just we sort of we don't mind keeping keeping it light and just you know bullshitting about whatever that. When, when it comes to actually having discussions about players and, and their relative value or whatever, we, we, we sort of insist that people use, use sound logic and use, um, use evidence to make their claims. Um, 
and we don't we don't really we don't we don't we don't take very kindly to uh, to people who um, are willfully willfully ignorant of of you know of certain objective objective facts and uh, principles of of the game, right? And of of how people who have studied this game a lot of you know these these things that they've um, discovered, you know, about how the game works. We don't we're not we don't have much uh, patience for people who come in and just brush all these things aside and try to make a an argument about a player or something. But that's uh, we, we, it, the tone varies from from thread to thread or from I mean it really depends entirely on what's being discussed because we don't all, all of our posts aren't aren't um, heavy statistical uh, um, analyses, but we have we have that we have a range of stuff that I mean, we have one of our one of our writers is is a is a is a, is a pretty excellent poet, um, and he frequently posts uh, his poet his things are the poetry on the site. Um, so we, we have we have stuff ranging from poetry to um, uh, we've, we've had some reviews of the, the franchise show about the Giants that was in, in honor of our series, the three series that then over the weekend. Um, but we, we have all different kinds of content and the, the, the comment, the comment sections tend to reflect, um, the subject matter or the, the tone of, of the specific, uh, post. Um. So, with with regard to this, you're 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 writing for the Good Fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're writing for Knockrafts. Um, what's the so what's the what's in your future then? I mean, ideally, I, I, we didn't we didn't um, really talk about it on your uh, what you do professionally right now. I assume that you're we'll we'll, we'll just take you for granted that you are uh, independently wealthy <laughs> of your own. That's a, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll take that for granted. Um, I mean, what's the ideal? Like, what what are your writing concerns from now on? Uh, because I know at Knockrafts, and and I should say, if I haven't made made it clear already, uh, I think that the stuff you've been doing for the site is is really excellent, and I have no incentive to say that to you. I mean, you know, whatever I could say, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think no, it's I think it's really fun in the sense that. You seem to be very willing to go to to, to deal with more playful stuff, um, to sometimes deal more uh, with topics that you seem to uh, you seem to have a stake in and are trying to make like mm-hmm. a like a real distinction, like with, with the point about like uh, you know the, the questions of aesthetics versus you know like or art versus the game and the differences therein. Um, but then also like with the Saberland article, the thing that was exciting about that is you took. What could what could definitely you know what's probably more of an academic form in a sort of like a dryish history, but you applied it to yeah. this culture. So those are all those are all very fun, and, and um, I think tying some of those different uh, voices together can, makes for pleasant reading. So just obviously that's the case. But I'm curious as to like what you see as like the projects that you're excited about now and would like to sort of continue working on, or you know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well. Um I mean, in addition to my baseball writing, I do some uh, some freelance 
journalism. Uh, you know, I've, so I, in the future, I, I, I definitely like to um, continue with the with baseball writing. I don't know if if it, if if it turns into something bigger, then so be it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but uh, but I think it's 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 more likely um, that um, that the other sort of other the other writing and the other the other interests will will pan out into something. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I just like to I like to write. Um, and I like to write about things that interest me. So um, I'd be happy just being able to do that and and hopefully make make, make enough to eat uh, doing it. So you, yeah. you don't die in your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question though. Um, I mean, one of the things that's nice about sabermetrically oriented writing is, and you sort of pointed out, like, you know, if you're going to be discussing a player, is to use some of, you know, to use reason, uh, to use some of you know, the principles that are kind of native to, I mean, to, to sabermetrics, but also, you know, sabermetrics is essentially just like scientific method applied to baseball, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in... And maybe this is a naive comment from my part, but it, it seems to me that typically when um, politics is the subject of conversation, uh, that the sort of hysterical opinions or unfounded uh, numbers and also, of course, people's value systems get involved. Uh, so there's a lot – there are even more variables than even you know than trying to, for example, um, you know, look at the relative value of Ben Zobrist versus Prince Fielder. Right. Right. So how does that work for you? I mean, if you, if you sort of have this mind that's excited about using some sort of objective measures to look at, you know, you know, relative abilities of players, like how does that how how does that um, translate if you're dealing with like you know writing about labor or writing about race? Because I assume that you know there's a you have like you know do you have a lot of uh, people or people or have even more uh, sort of received wisdom regarding those things. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think when you're writing about when you're writing about labor or race, it does. I mean, it, there's still a the, it's still a matter of having the best the best evidence to support your claims. I don't really think it doesn't. It, it definitely doesn't. That's never going to be, uh, <laughs> no matter what, if you're trying to make an argument about something, the, the evidence that it be solid or else you're going to be laughed at or mocked or uh, worse. But um, with, with, poli- like with politics, it really, it's, I, don't, I don't view it as writing about politics is much different than trying to make a point about, you know, about, uh, about Ben Douglas being more valuable than, than Prince Theater. I, I, I still think it ultimately comes down to are you using are you using sound logic when you're making your argument and do you have do you have good evidence to make your claim? Um, but there's so there's certainly a lot more I think it's higher stakes when you're writing obviously when you're writing about politics and whatnot. So people tend 
people tend to cling more to to their ideologies when uh, when they're confronted with less uh, with sort of inconvenient um, points. Um, but it's, it's it, that's that's part of the that's part of the, the struggle of, of of politics and learning about politics is trying to is trying to win over people who don't necessarily agree with you, um, people who might be completely hostile, or, you know, people who might be completely hostile to what you're saying. Um, and I don't think it's that different for um, saving metrics versus, um, you know, the traditional baseball fan. Right, I guess, except for maybe the point that that people are allowed to... Well, I don't know. I, I, I mean... I was going to say that people are um, more willing to dismiss arguments about baseball um, or the importance of them. I, that's not an argument I would make because I actually think that baseball is really important. Um, not necessarily in it's like, oh, this is great, but in the sense that it's it's valuable as a sort of lab for using in a lot of ideas. You know, right. um, I yeah. will always be the last person to say like. Oh, like this serious thing that happens really puts into perspective the game of baseball. You know what I mean? And like how, like how unimportant it is. Like I say, no, no, that's ridiculous. Baseball is really important because yeah. it allows us to practice skill. I mean, it's enjoyable in itself, and that it allows us to practice being like people and using our our minds in other ways too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine, but for maybe that's not the case. It's not the case for everybody. I, I would suggest. No, I, th- I I think I agree with that. Um, it's it's it is a great way to 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 you know practice thinking. I think, and that's 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 always important. Right, and some would say, and uh, for example, Aristotle, who's pretty pretty good, he would say that yeah. that sort of that contemplation or the contemplative act is the point of being alive. If you want to right. be happy, then you will contemplate. And so, really, the thing that which is sort of you know makes you know allows for that to happen most frequently is you know the thing that's going to be kind of the you know, it's going to stimulate happiness most often. And so, if baseball does that, then baseball is important, you know, because it's right. makes you happy and it's essentially like the most important human act. People might say so. Um, yeah. Well, hey, this has been great, uh, Augenbron. I, uh, okay. I don't really care how well the Phillies do, but uh, if it makes you happier, I hope they do well. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'm uh, happy to have done this. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so we've learned a lot about uh, Eric Augenbrun here. Uh, I guess you, wait, people can follow you on Twitter at Fuqua Manual. Man- yeah, that's right. I'll put it in there. I'll put up a link. I'll that put sounds up- good put up a like on the site and uh yeah i guess look at look for eric's work at the uh, knockrafts good fight and uh yeah probably some important places down the road we can only assume <laughs> yeah all right so thanks a lot eric for joining us all right thank you all right that's been eric augenbron i am carson zestuli and this has been fangraphs audio